This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Man, that was a little taste of heaven this morning, right? It's good stuff, guys. Thank you so much. You guys ready to study the Word this morning? Okay, good. Turn to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. If you're visiting with us this morning or if you're new in recent weeks, our, our summer study series this summer has been Summer Psalms, and we are looking at selected psalms throughout the book of Psalms, and we are seeing a picture of different things. And so last week we looked at Psalm 32 and saw a picture of confession. This morning we're going to be in Psalm 67 and we're going to see a picture of missions. Now depending on how you have grown up and what your history is in the church or even outside the church, when I say the word missions, it probably evokes any number of responses. I know for me, I grew up in South Mississippi and uh, grew up uh, throughout junior high and high school hearing about missions. It was usually connected to an offering every year, or it was connected to something that we would talk about when the, the foreign missionary would come in dressed in very different looking clothes and, and telling about their cool, exotic stories from the opposite side of the globe. But it was very disconnected from my everyday life. And when I went to college at Southern Miss, I got very involved with a couple of different campus ministries during my time there. And as I was there, yes, disciple-making was an active part of my life. And understanding how to pray more fervently and understanding how to study the Scriptures more deeply. All of these things were very formative uh, during those years in my heart. But one of the other things was missions. I, I really grew in my understanding of and appreciation for the mission of God. Now, here's my story. All right, so there, there are a lot of uh, people who will say nice things. I was just at a wedding yesterday for, uh, at one of our alums, and uh, there was a, a, a mom and a dad there of another student, and they had heard about me and knew about me, but had never met me face-to-face, and so they pulled me aside, and we had conversation, and they had very, very kind things to say about me, and, and thankful so much for our ministry and our church here and how much we invest in students, and so I was very grateful to hear that. And, and, and as I talk to parents and as I talk to uh, students who are coming to UML and, and, and so relieved that our ministry and our church is here, it reminds me of why we do what we do. And it reminds me of why uh, the church and, and those ministries were so formative in my own life, because here's my story. I had heard about the mission of God. I had written checks towards the mission of God, But when I was in college, I gave every excuse in the world for why the mission of God did not apply to me. That was for the elite Delta Force varsity team of Christians. It was not for just normal, everyday, uh, boring people like myself. And I had written that off. And basically just said, that's not for me, that's for other people. And so I watched my friends go to Africa and to China and South America, literally around the globe. I never got it. But what happened for me is I started reading the scriptures more and more. And the more you read the scriptures and the bigger picture of God you get and the deeper understanding of him that you gain to know, you cannot run away from the mission of God. It is from Genesis all the way 
to Revelation and everywhere in between. Another reason why what we do here at Mill City Church and Christian Student Fellowship is so important is because when you look at the past, when you look at church history, so many of the big mission movements of the last two to three hundred years were started by, carried out by, and furthered by college students. I'm not sure that you know this. William Carey was exposed to a very big picture of God and his son Jesus, very similar to me and to some of your own experiences here. William Carey, as he grew in understanding of Scripture, also grew in a passion for the nations. And he was just an average, ordinary, blue-collar shoe cobbler. That's what he was. And while working, he would pray over a tattered, copper-plated map that he had forged with his own hands, And and as he would do that, he would have older ministers and pastors who would approach him and say things like this. Young men, sit down. When God chooses to win the heathen, he will do it without your help or ours. But Carrie would not be shaken. Carrie's fervency continued to grow and he ended up writing a very popular book that analyzed the need for global evangelism. And then he and a group of friends formed a tiny missions agency and he ended up traveling to India where he would spend his entire life preaching the gospel, planting churches, and translating the scriptures into 40 different languages and dialects. That's 40 with a zero. His passion was the spark that began an entire movement that led to several different missions agencies and mission activity across the globe. So much so that William Carey today is known as the father of the modern missions movement. In Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where I'm from, there is a Christian Baptist university that is his namesake, William Carey University. All of this started... When he was a college student, Samuel Mills, right here in New England, and the Haystack Five at Williams College in 1806, it started with the fervency of God and praying for spiritual awakening and for the nations around the globe. Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a sickly medical student in England, and he himself, being a very broken and bruised man, battled depression for most of his life leveraged his life for the sake of the Chinese and the China Inland Mission in East Asia. Lottie Moon, who is one of our Southern Baptist heroes, went to China as a very young girl and ended up giving her life literally for the Chinese as she would share and even give up her food to to feed the Chinese people during severe famine. All of these people, in in their student years and young adult years, this is why... At Mill City Church, over Christmas, we sent 15 to East Asia. This is why at Mill City Church that we sent 23 to Burbank, California over spring break. This is why that we sent 8 to the United Kingdom just last month. This is why one of our alums last year decided not to renew her teaching contract with Greater Lowell Public Schools and instead moved to a major city in East Asia in order to teach English as a second language, as a platform for sharing the gospel. This is why this fall we are going to commission and send out my best friend, my little buddy, and my son in the faith, Patrick, and his wife, Erin. This is why we are sending them out and commissioning them so that they would serve in the United Kingdom this 
this uh, next year. This is why, as a church, that we set aside in our budget almost 20% of our receipts that are given here so that we can partner with different mission causes and missionaries across the globe. This is why we do what we do. This is why it's so important. And this is why when I'm talking to college students and young adults and young couples across this room to not look around your life and think that, well, someday I'll be a leader in God's church. No, you're the leaders of God's church today. This is why whether we are 30 or 40 or 60 or 70, that we want so, so desperately to invest our lives in the next generation because it has always been the next generation that has really led the missions movement for God. This is why whether we are 18 in this room today or whether we are 80, that every one of us has a very important part to play in this mission of God. Now this morning, here's what I want to do as we read Psalm 67. I want us to metaphorically lean in and press our faces against the breast of God and to press our ear to His chest so that we might hear his heartbeat. And as we hear his heartbeat and what his heart beats for, I pray that our hearts would beat for the same thing that his heart beats for. And so with that being said, let's read Psalm 67. A very short psalm, but radical implications. The psalmist writes this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be made known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This morning, it's a very simple outline. Very simple outline with very revolutionary, radical truths to the heart of the believer who will listen. And so as we look at these four life-altering truths regarding the mission of God, press that ear into his heart and hear his heartbeat. Number one, here's what the psalmist shows us. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are a global people and he is a global God. We are a global people and he is a global God. Verse 2 illuminates this in very uh, stark colors. It says that your way may be made known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Now this was very radical for those original hearers. Because the people of God in the Old Testament, they were God's chosen nation, literally. I mean, they were a nation of people. They were a country, a nation on earth, and they were God's chosen. They were God's children. And so for them to hear the truth that God was about not only the salvation of Israel, not only the salvation of the Israelites, but He wanted His saving power known among all nations and all peoples, This would have been as revolutionary for the Israelites as it is for some Americans today to understand that our God is not an American God. He is not a white God. He is not a black God. He is not an East God and a West God, a North God and a South God. 
He is a God of all peoples, all nations, literally all ethnicities. About 10 different times in this short psalm, 10 times in seven verses, there is some variation of the word peoples or nations. Might we have a theme? (laughs) Repetition is very important in the scriptures. And so you begin to see God's heart from the nations. And you see it not only here in Psalm 67, but you really see it unpacked and fleshed out throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Now, time won't allow us to walk through all those passages this morning. But let me give you just a little taste of how you see it from the Old Testament on to Jesus and to the very end of the Scriptures. In Genesis, at the very beginning of the Bible, God commissioned Father Abraham and promised him this in Genesis 12. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, singular, And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I love the play on the singular and the plural here. I will make you a great nation singular so that you will be a blessing to all the families plural, all the nations, peoples on earth. And this is the heart of the Christ follower today. We are that nation today. The nation of Christendom, the nation of new life, born again believers. God says, I will bless you. I will make you a great nation, a great people, so that you will then bless all the nations, all the families on earth. Then you look at Jesus. In the New Testament, you see the continuation of this theme with Jesus himself. And this is a glimpse of his many words regarding his purpose among the nations. And probably some of the most famous in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, what we know as the Great Commission. Jesus says, go there, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then at that final culmination... The picture where we see all of history ending in Revelation chapter 5, we we see every race of Adam's race gathering around the throne. And we catch this glimpse of the completed task of taking the gospel to every people group on this planet. The scripture says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people from God. For, for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That's Greek for a whole lot of people. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, this is the picture of the end. The picture of the end is that there are going to be men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation around the throne of God, worshiping Him for all eternity. Now, it's important that we understand what we're talking about here and what we're not talking about. When we think about nation or people or tribe, we think about countries. 
So geopolitically, there are about 200 countries on planet Earth today that have geographical boundaries and governments and, and, uh, and just political boundaries. But that's not what we're talking about because it's not 200 countries or nations around the globe because when you think about it, there have been nations that have increased and decreased throughout human history. There have been times when there have been fewer countries on planet Earth than there are today. The Bible is talking about something different. It's people groups, ethnicities. It's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 28 as pantata ethne. Literally every nation, every ethnicity, people group. Because even within uh, countries, there are many, sometimes even hundreds of different people groups within that country. Today, according to stats, there are about 16,000 different people groups on planet Earth. People who have their uh, specific ethnicity, specific languages, and specific cultures that would separate them or make them different from other people groups who may be around them. Now, here's the big picture for you and for me. Since our God is a global God, and we are a global people, I think about especially in the terms of an election year where there are politicians on both sides of the aisle that want to talk about the black vote or the white vote, and we're talking about immigration, and we're talking about whether people should come here or not come here, and this, that, and the other. Let's just leave all that on the table this morning, all right? And just say that governments can do what governments want to do. Presidents can do what presidents want to do. People can divide however they want to divide. But spiritually speaking, as Christians, as followers of Jesus... When we look at countries, countries can decide to be isolationists if they want to. They can close their doors, close their walls, and ban people. China actually had a closed-door policy for many, many years where people from the outside could not come in. There are politicians today who want to make those same walls around the United States of America in many ways. Christianly speaking, countries can be isolationists if that's what they choose to do. But as Christians, the gospel must never be closed to export. And the gospel must never be closed for import. The gospel must expand and reach out across ethnicity, across tribes, across people groups. And we must guard as Christian people from allowing politics and nationalism to influence how we view ethnicities and the need for the gospel around the globe. You with me? Are you with me there? we got to be very careful and walk that line carefully. Number one, I want you to see from this psalm that our God is a global God and we as His people are a global people. Number two, I want you to see this. The blessings of God to us are for a purposed end. The blessings of God to us are for a purposed end. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. Now that is a prayer, that is a scripture that we would read at weddings. We might read it at celebrations where we're honoring at banquets other people for, their, uh, for what they have done or just simply for who they are. And, and this is a great prayer to pray. It's a great scripture. The struggle for us as people is that so oftentimes we place periods where the scriptures put commas. The scripture doesn't say, God be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us, period. 
As if the reason for which God chooses to bless us is because we are just very quite lovable and we are very blessable. So just bless us, God. Right? No, the scripture says, Father, be gracious to us. Bless us. Make your face to shine upon us, comma, so that your way may be made known on the earth. Your saving power among all nations. When you look at these two scriptures, there is a cause and effect. There is an active causal agent, and his name is God, and he is supplying the blessings. But then there is an intended effect in this passage. He supplies the blessings so that his way may be made known on the earth. How? By proclaiming his salvation this gospel to the ends of the earth and meeting needs in the name of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, here is the overwhelming truth today and the overwhelming reality today. There are a little over 7 billion people in this world on planet earth today. That's a whole lot of people. And approximately 5 billion of those people do not know Christ as king. Among those 7 billion people and those 16,000 people groups or so, at least 6,500 or so of those people groups are considered unreached, meaning that they have very limited or no access to the gospel or the scriptures in their language. It's what we would consider 2% or less evangelized. It doesn't mean that there's absolutely no Christian among those people groups, but it means that they're 2% or less, meaning that it is an inadequate, insufficient gospel presence, gospel witness to really saturate that people group to make the gospel known. Within those 6,500 unreached people groups... Over 3 billion people live in those people groups. Do you recognize that about 40% of the world's population lives in a people group who have limited to no access to the gospel in their native tongue? That's a tragedy. And that should invoke all types of urgency in our hearts. There are almost 150 million orphans living in orphanages all across the globe today who are longing for a safe, warm, and welcoming home with a mommy and a daddy. And here's the reality for you and me living in the American West. The church of Jesus Christ in the American West is sitting on a large plurality of the world's wealth college student in here today, the very fact that you are enrolled in an institution of higher learning in the United States of America automatically puts you in the upper echelons of the global society. You are among the most privileged elite in the world just by access to higher education in America. We are so wealthy. We are so lavished with resources and blessings And what the scriptures are showing us here is that God doesn't simply bless us to bless us. He blesses us so that we might be a blessing. 
You've heard me say this before, that this passage is showing us here that God sends his blessings, sends his resources to his people so that he might spread his blessings, spread his resources through his people. Now, what does this do for us on a daily basis, a weekly basis? What it should do is completely revolutionize the way we see our own incomes, We've grown up, many of us, in a society, in a church society, where we say, give your 10% offering, just let that be that, and move on. That's your responsibility. I've even heard pastors say it's a really good deal. God lets you keep 90, all he wants is 10. That's a lie, by the way. That's not really a really accurate representation of what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches us radical generosity. The Scripture teaches us that God radically blesses us, lavishly blesses us, and so we look the most like him when we lavishly bless others and radically bless others. We don't look to God and say, would you just give me 10% blessing? We say, lavish me with your blessings. And so he would want his people to look like himself. Okay. That being said, here's my challenge to you. As you grow, it doesn't matter if you're 20 or you're 60 in here today. As you grow in resources, every time you get a raise, every time you get a blessing, why not see that as an opportunity to increase not only your the hard numbers of giving, but also your percentage of giving. I've said this so many times that I really believe that for those of us in the West who are middle class or upper middle class, I really believe that it would be a sin and disobedience for most of us to only give 10%. Because we're lavish with so many resources. Why wouldn't we seek to increase that through our lives? So that our giving at 50 may look very different than our giving at 20 or our giving at 40 looks different than it did at 30. But it's not simply so that you can check a box. It's not simply so that Mill City Church becomes more wealthy. It's so that we can say, as God blesses us individually, God blesses us as a church. And as God blesses us as a church, the more we can bless our community and the other ends of the globe. We get to partner so much as a church here And we are constantly praying, God, increase our blessings so that we can bless others. The blessings of God to us are for a purposed end. Allow that to transform the way you even see your own finances. Number three, missions exist because worship does not. A third life-altering truth that we see here regarding the mission of God is that missions exist because worship does not. When you look at verses 3 through 7, six times in these five verses, we see a call to the nations to praise God. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then in verse 6 and 7, you see this link again between our blessings and the good of the nations. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Do you see that link? There is a link between God's blessing you and God's blessing of me and the praise and worship of the nations. Not sure that we thought about this that this week as we got our paychecks, right? But there's a link here, the Bible tells us. And here it is. 
Where do we get this missions exist because worship does not? Well, Revelation 5 said that at the very end, at the final culmination, that every race of Adam's race around the throne room of God is going to sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's a real wordy way of saying that God is going to be worshipped. So that's the end to which all of human civilization points, is the worship of God. I would love to say that that phrase, that statement, missions exist because worship does not, came from the brilliant intellect and the analytical mind of Chris James. I would love to be able to say that, but then it would be called plagiarism. And as we've seen this week, plagiarism is not an honorable trait in society. Okay, So this actually comes from John Piper, from his book, called Let the Nations Be Glad. And it's his definitive work, really, on global missions. And the very first paragraph of that book, this is what Piper writes. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. What is the ultimate end to which salvation in Jesus points? Well, so that more people will go to heaven when they die and not hell. It's not what the scriptures tell us. Now, salvation's important. Heaven is most definitely a much better destination than hell. However, what the scriptures tells us, tell us is that the ultimate end to which human uh, civilization points is worship of God. Jesus tells us this much in John 17, 3, where Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus whom you sent. One of the struggles of many Christian churches in the West is that we have built an eternity that is void of worship of God. Our eternity, our salvation, our gospel presentations hinge upon whether a person wants heaven or hell when they die. It's all about the guy. It's all about the woman. It's all about what you want for your eternity. But Jesus defines for us what eternity is, what eternal life is. And he says that they may know you, the one true God. Inherent in that, in that statement is worship and honor of God. So here's what Piper is getting at. Is that right now, all across this globe and right here in this city, there are countless people, billions, who do not cry out that Christ is king. And so as a result, they are living a life of worship, all right, but they're not worshiping God. And so the whole goal to which missions points is to, is to present the gospel and offer salvation so that people would go from being worshipers of self and worshipers of idols to being worshipers of the one true God. And so missions exist because worship does not one of the greatest joys that I have had in my life is, is going to uh, East Asia uh, over the last 10 years. And so I've gone to China for uh, 
uh, let's see here, 11 years now. And I have been to China, I think, 12 times in the last 11 years. And one of the greatest joys of my life in being there is when you are in a house church. They don't have, they're not in cathedrals. They're not in wonderful, air-conditioned, beautifully lit rooms like this one. They're not coming to worship with a polished worship band and all the great technological gadgets that we have. They're simply coming together in someone's apartment, and they're in an 800-square-foot apartment with 40 or 50 of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, it smells a little bit, it's a little hot, and people are literally sitting in each other's laps. But they are singing praises to God in their language, and they're opening the Word of God and just reading it aloud and worshiping God from their hearts. And, and ladies and gentlemen, it is as fervent as anything as I have seen in an amphitheater with 5,000 people at a Chris Tomlin concert. And it has challenged me to redefine what worship looks like. But in a, in a equally as important to me is when I'm sitting across the table from an from a unbeliever and walking through the scriptures and watching the epiphanies come to light as they start seeing Jesus for who he is. And you start seeing a heart that once walked in darkness now professing Jesus as Lord when the dots are connecting. This is the goal of human existence on earth. is to find our place and our identity and our lives in worship to Him. I pray this morning that God would deliver us from our very man-centered approach to evangelism and missions. The goal is not simply to get people saved. That's very man-centered and it's almost idolatrous. The goal is to have God have more worshipers for himself through the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what makes our mission and our sacrifices and our prayers all worth it. Because he's worthy of that worship of every tribe, tongue, and nation. <clears throat> lastly, if, God is our, if our God is a global God and we are a global people, and if the blessings of God to us are for a purposed end, and if missions exist because worship does not, then therefore we are to be joyful conduits of God's grace to all peoples. We are to be joyful conduits of God's grace To all peoples. Again in verse 7. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. We see this connection again. Right? Of our blessings. And other salvation. Our blessings. And God receiving worship. From those who are putting trust in him. This morning. The times are urgent. The need is vast. Children are orphaned. Entire people groups don't have access to the gospel in their language. Billions are suffering, not only human suffering, but also spiritual suffering. And our temptation is to step back in disobedience and in action, laboring over the question, well, am I really called? I don't know that I'm even called to be a part of this. Listen to me this morning. And I mean this very benevolently and lovingly, but also assertively. 
If you are a Christ follower, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God, there is no debate, there's not much to pray about over call. You are called. You are called. You are called to be a part of the mission of God. What we have done throughout the last several hundred years is we have, we have divided the church of Jesus Christ into, into a caste system. There are the lower class folks who simply, they're supposed to just check in and out of church. They'll write a check every now and then, but they just get to sit here and just watch everybody else do the work. Then there are the people who are a little bit higher on the, uh, the caste system because they're actually volunteer leaders in the church. And then there are people who are really, really gifted in this caste system. And there are pastors and our seminary trained individuals. Then there's the varsity Delta Force. And those are the people who are going to go and live in a thatched hut and they're going to eat worms and locusts and suffer for the Lord in foreign places and exotic places. And those are really the real Christians who do the real work. I wish I could be as significant as one of them. But what you see throughout human history, William Carey was a cobbler. Hudson Taylor was a depressed medical student. Lottie Moon was an average, ordinary Virginia girl. And these are now the heroes of the missions, of the faith in missions, because they were simply ordinary people who literally believed that God would do something extraordinary with their lives. If you were here today and you just think that you're just an ordinary mom, or you're just a regular college student, or, or you're just someone who's approaching sunset years now and retirement's not going to be very far away and you're just thinking, well, I've missed the boat. I just got to wait this thing out until heaven. I want you to know that every single one of you, every single one of us in this room can be a part of the mission of God today. And he wants that. He desires that. It's what you've been saved to do. You are called. Are you with me? Every one of us is significant. Every one is significant. So the question is not, am I called? The question is, in this season of my life, with my giftings and my resources and my platforms, how am I going to respond to that call? How am I going to leverage my life and my resources, my family or my friends, for the sake of this mission? So I started this morning by saying that one of my goals today is for you to metaphorically lean into the breast of God and listen for his heartbeat. Well, we've seen that through the scriptures. So now that as we get ready to close, let me offer to you at least four very specific, tangible ways today that every single person can, can be a part of the mission of God and join in on his heartbeat. Number one, you can prepare. You can prepare. In other words, you can educate yourself. You can become more aware of what God is doing on this earth. So much of our Christian existence is about ourselves. God, why is this happening to me? God, what about my life? When am I going to get mine? Why me? Why me? Right? We could be so inwardly focused. And I don't want to minimize real struggles. But I really believe that one of the ways that God heals us 
and directs us out of some of the struggles in our own lives is by placing our focus on someone else and putting our focus on others and what God is doing in others' lives so that we be more others-focused. And one of the ways in which you can do this is simply to educate yourself so that you know more about those 16,000 people groups on earth and the 6,500 who are considered unreached. And and there there are resources here for you. You can go to joshuaproject.net. It is one of my go-to websites to understand what's going on in the globe to know where the spiritual need is, to understand the names and faces of specific people groups around the globe so that I can put names with faces, so I can put a face to a people group name. Radical.net. This website is from uh, David Platt, who is the president of our International Mission Board with Southern Baptists. A lot of great blogs, a lot of great resources about the missions effort across the globe and more information about people groups. I would wholeheartedly commend to you this huge book here. Now, not only would this book be a great weapon in case you ever had an intruder in your home, it also has some great information in it. And in this book, which is published every several years, it has updated demographics, it has stats of population, people groups, languages. It has information on specific prayer requests, the level of receptivity or hostility towards the gospel in that country. And I would tell you that if you would use this, you could use this in your weekly prayer time in your own home and just allowing a a different country uh, to saturate your prayers on any given week. We have these here at Mill City. And here's my commitment to you. If you would be a person today who would say, I will use this in my prayer time. I will use this in my devotion time before God. There are some of these at the welcome desk today, and you can have one free of charge. But do not take it if you wouldn't plan to use it. Prepare. Educate yourself. Number two, pray. Pray. As you become more educated, as you become aware of more needs, as you become aware of more faces and people groups and spiritual uh, realities around the globe and urgency, translate that information to your prayers. And and I'm saying this as a challenge not only to you but also to myself. This is a conviction of my own heart and God convicted me this week even as I was preparing this. Every one of us in this room as followers of Jesus should be actively praying on a regular basis for the nations. If we're not, allow, the God to, allow God to reprimand you a little bit this morning and convict your heart and then to correct you and push you towards prayer for the nations. There are too many resources that we have to know what the spiritual realities are around the globe, to not pray for our brothers and sisters who are in need around the globe, and not to pray for the spiritual need and lostness around the globe. Every one of us in this room can prepare. Every one of us can pray. Number three, provide. Number three, you can provide. Regardless of your income in here, whether you make less than $500 a month as a student or whether you make more than five dollars or $7,000 or more as a very successful person in the workforce today, every one of us is called to equal sacrifice. And so every one of us can also give today. 
And I want you to know that as you give your resources here, it is multiplied outward. Today at Mill City, I, I think that our numbers this year, 18% of our funds are designated towards missions. And some of that money is going directly to specific missionaries we're supporting as a church. Some of it is going to our missions agencies that, that then supports thousands of missionaries around the globe. Some of it is for very specific ways to mobilize our people to get them on the field on some of our short-term opportunities. But here's the reality. When you bless and you give sacrificially to our church family, our church family then gets to bless and do with those funds something that you alone could never do by yourself. So today you can also provide. Lastly, so you can prepare, you can pray, you can provide. Lastly, you can participate. Whether it is on a short-term trip to East Asia or to the United Kingdom or to Southern California or up to Nashua to work with our Arabic Baptist partners up there, just like a team of 15 did just last month, whether it's having someone in your home today or this week to read the scriptures with them or to pray with them, you can participate in God's global mission. And where does that start? It starts with making disciples right here in your backyard. The greatest missionaries the world has ever known, they didn't start reaching people with the gospel and making disciples when they arrived in India or South America or China. It began when they were in their home, in their own town, making disciples of their peers and their family members and their co-workers. And God just grew something in their heart and it became so contagious. They said, I cannot contain this. I must go and proclaim this elsewhere. Any missionary who says that I'm called to go to the nations, but is not making disciples in their own hometown, it borders on fraud. Did you hear that? It borders on fraud. Because the mission of God is always meant to start somewhere and then multiply and spread out from there. So you can participate today as well. And perhaps this would be the year where you say, I'm tired of making excuses like Chris did when he was in high school and college. I'm tired of watching everybody else participate in God's mission. And I'm just standing on the outside looking in. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to dive in. And I'm going to start being a part of the heartbeat of God. Do you see the picture of missions today in Psalm 67? Do you see it echoed, hear it echoed throughout the rest of the scriptures? What would it be like if Mill City Church was a church that banded together and continued in the fervency of this gospel mission? We may not be the largest church in New England. We may never be on the news or on some blog site nationwide. But this family of God here can make real, eternal, significant, radical kingdom impact all around the globe through faithful obedience to God's mission. Let's do it. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, we worship you this morning as the God of all nations. Remind us today that you have created people of different color, 
different ethnicity, different languages. And every single tribe, every single people group is precious to you. Remind us today that those people groups are so precious that you have promised that there are going to be representatives from each and every one of them around your throne room at the end of time. And so, Father, may we be today, push us forward as a church that says, I want to be a part of that mission. So, Father, bless us this morning. Lavish your blessings upon us so that we can lavish them upon others. Father, grow us so that we may send more out into your harvest field. And Lord, this morning, I pray that you would move us away from ourselves. Move us from being inward disciples to being outward-focused disciples who prepare ourselves, who pray, who provide, and who participate in the mission of God. And we pray that as a result of that, that the gospel would be spread and you would be glorified and worshipped by more mouths and hearts than we're doing that today. Thank you, Jesus, for making this possible. Amen.